Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we do thank and praise you for all of your word, which we trust is breathed out by you and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training us in righteousness and helping us to be thoroughly equipped to please you in every way. We pray, Father, that you would help us to understand what your word is saying this morning. We pray that we might be encouraged, challenged, enthused by it. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You ever seen the TV show, um, Who Do You Think You Are? Has anybody seen that show? Who do you think you are? A few people have seen it? Yeah. It's, uh, it traces people's family history. It goes through their genealogies, through their family tree. Quite an interesting show. Um, what I like more than the family trees, though, is how emotional people find it as they kind of connect to whether it be famous people or as they just see their place in history and family. It's quite an emotional thing for people. Well, early in the 1990s, my grandfather wrote the story of his life, his autobiography, and as part of it, he included a couple of genealogies. He included our family history. He finishes his autobiography with these words. So my grandfather writes, I hope that in writing these pages and leaving them behind to our children and grandchildren, I've given them the opportunity for some understanding of the past, of who we are, where we came from, and what we stand for. Now Warren has very kindly put um, a couple of uh, parts of my family tree on the PowerPoint for you. It's taken from my grandfather's book. So this is my grandfather's side here. So you can see it goes all the way back to Abraham, 1740 in Holland. Um, the family actually goes back further than that. This is as far as my grandfather could trace it. doesn't know when he died, but 740, my lots of great-grandfather Abraham was born in Holland. His son Philip, his son Salomon, his son Aaron, still all in Holland. His son Leon. And then you get to the... Um, the generation of my grandfather's parents. You see, Leon had ten children. So Bet and Moritz and Leonard and Aaron and Sally and David, who's my grandfather's father, Herman, Abraham, Sartre, Rosette. Uh, the red ones are all the ones killed in the Holocaust. So seven of the ten murdered by the Nazis in the Holocaust, including my uh, great-grandfather, David. Um, the family were taken. My grandfather happened to be in the backyard at the time as a kid. Uh, the family were all taken. I uh, my grandfather, grandfather's mother slammed the door and locked him out so the Nazis couldn't take him as well. He hid in a, um, hid in a, a shed. And you can see that my grandfather's uh, lion, Leon, and Margarita, who were killed by the Nazis, taken with the family. His brother, Abraham, who hid with uh, his fiancée and her family in an attic for uh, a few years and got away that way. And Aaron, who died as a young person. Then through to Clara, my mum, and my uncle Charles, Carol, and then my, my brother and sister and my, my kids. There's my grandfather's, uh, grandfather's side. Uh, and then there's my grandmother's side as well. They didn't, couldn't, my grandfather couldn't get as many people here, but uh, my grandmother is Sipora over here on the right, uh, Sipora and Nathan. So her grandfather is Salomon. And then basically every single person in her family was killed in the war. So there were other brothers and sisters, but they were all killed as well. But her parents, uh, Carl and Rosa, her auntie and uncle, Jacob and Jeanne, and all her other aunties and uncles as well, her brothers, sisters, all their family, they were all murdered by the Nazis. Uh, and then there's my mum, Clara, and Barry, my dad, and then Carmelina and me. So that's, uh, that's my grandfather's family history. My dad's also done a family history for his side. I don't have a copy to show you, but he traces back five generations through Australia, particularly Lithgow and Cephala, and uh, then back to England, and my grandmother doesn't want you to know this, but convicts who came out from England. Uh, they're interesting things, family trees. Uh, like my grandfather, hope they can give you some understanding of the past, 
They can tell you something of who you are, of where you came from and what you stand for. So I look at those family trees and I can learn things. I learn things about myself, about my family. My mother's family are Jewish. Apparently tracing their roots back to the ancient tribe of Levi. That tells me something about who I am. And my father's family are from Holland with a history of uh, some 350 years in Holland until they were uh, so dreadfully murdered. Uh, it tells me something of where I came from. I can see that they're family people, ten children in one generation there, they're living in peace in Holland. Uh, I can see from their names the way they were integrated, Jewish but yet Dutch. At the same time, it tells me something of what we stand for as a family. I guess for the doctors, medically, it's not quite such a useful family history. Uh, my mother was asked recently, uh, my mother sadly has got cancer and is being treated for it, and she was asked recently, uh, tell me your family history about uh, what your relatives all died from. And she said, well, it's pretty tough. I should avoid Nazis, but that's about all I can find out from my family <laughs> history medically. Um, it uh, doesn't help the doctors very much. But even still, there is plenty to learn from a family history. Well, the first nine chapters of the book of 1 Chronicles is one big family tree, one big genealogy. So let's have a look. Do please come with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 1 and verse 1. And we see here where the family tree begins. It begins at the beginning, as Rebecca was just singing for us. It begins with the first man God created in the scriptures. This is Adam. It's the Adam in the Garden of Eden. It's the Adam who sinned against God and lost his place in the garden. And then we work quickly, just down through the generations, one person at a time, as far as Noah. That's the Noah who survived the great flood with the ark and so on. 1 Chronicles chapter 1 and verse 1. Have a look with me. 1 Chronicles chapter 1 and verse 1. Adam, and they're working through the generations. Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah. So we're moving really fast through history so far. But now we slow down a little bit and we focus for a while on Noah's three sons. So first you've got Japheth's family. They take you to verse 7. Then Ham's family. And then in verse 17 we pick up the, the family that we're going to run with. So this is the family of Shem, the Semites, so to speak. Uh, we work through the generations until we get to verse 27. Can you see verse 27, the significant person there, verse 27. This is Abraham, of course, Abraham. And so now we trace Abraham's family. We start off again with a couple of uh, um, lines that we're not going to follow. So first his sons by the woman Hagar, that's Ishmael, then his sons by the woman Keturah. And then we uh, go with the line that we're going to follow. And this is the son by Sarah, that's Isaac. So we follow Isaac's sons. Can you see what's still with me there? Uh, so first you've got Esau, he's also known as Edom. And so we trek him around for a little bit, but then we go where we're going to continue, and that is with Jacob, who's also known as Israel. Okay, so that's chapter one, from Adam through to Israel. Uh, chapter two, we then come to the family of Israel. So have a look with me, chapter two and verse one, two, one. These were the sons of Israel, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Dan, Joseph, Benjamin, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. Big family, hey, 12 sons. And now from chapter 2 and right through until chapter 8, we're going to follow this family. This is not a family tree of the whole world. It's particularly focused on this one family, the family of Israel, the sons of Israel. Not all of them, not all of them. So we're not going to look at Dan, we're not going to look at Zebulun, and we're not going to look at them evenly. Uh, so there's one, 
I think it might be Naphtali, we'll see a bit later on, they get one verse, right? But then some of the tribes, like Judah, gets about three chapters. So it's going to be uneven, it'll be focused on where the chronicler has information or is interested, but what we're doing basically is working through the tribes of Israel from chapter 2 to chapter 8. So chapters 2 to 4 is the family of Judah. So we head down from Judah in chapter 2, verse 3, and we head down to a man called Hezron. And then we follow three of his sons. We follow them in an interesting way because we start with the bloke Ram and we follow him down to King David. Then we do his other sons, Caleb and Jeremiel. But then we do them again, only back to front. So we do Jeremiel, Caleb and then Ram again. I don't know why he does it this way, but he does it in this what's called a chiastic structure. So you do the three and then you do the three again backwards. Uh, But I think part of the reason is because we then end with a focus on the line of King David. Because this is very significant because the rest of the book of Chronicles is going to be about David and then David's sons who become the kings. So chapter 3, chapter 3 if you're with me there, we've, we uh, learn about David's many sons and then we follow his lines working through the kings of Israel and Judah. So I do want to stop and read this section, I'm not going to read too much of it, but what, what I want you to notice as we trace through the line of David is how far we get historically because it's quite significant for understanding the book as a whole. So I'm in chapter one, chapter sorry, three, chapter three and verse ten. Chapter three, verse ten. So we're heading through the generations of kings. We're starting with David's son Solomon. So if you want to think historically, David's around about a thousand BC. Solomon, I don't know where, nine seventy, something like that. Okay, so we're starting off with Solomon. Chapter three, verse ten. Solomon's son was Rehoboam. Abijah, his son, Asa, his son, Jehoshaphat, his son, Jehoram, his son, we're moving through quickly, Ahaziah, his son, Joash, his son, Amaziah, his son, Azariah, his son, Jotham, his son, Ahaz, his son, Hezekiah, his son, Manasseh, his son, Ammon, his son, Josiah, his son. Okay, we've flashed through. Uh, Now we stop to slow down a little bit because a couple of Josiah's sons become kings because this is now the time of the exile, about uh, late 500s, so around about 590, somewhere like that. So the sons of Josiah, Johanan the firstborn, Jehoiakim the second son, Zedekiah the third, Shalom the fourth. The successors of Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin his son, and Zedekiah. The readers will be very pleased that I didn't ask them to read this today. The descendants of Jehoiachin the captive, Shealtiel his son, Malkirim, Padiah, Shenazar, Jechemiah, Hoshama, and Nedabiah. The sons of Padiah, Zerubbabel, and Shimei. The sons of Zerubbabel, Meshulam and Hananiah, Shelemith was their sister. There are also five others, Hashubah, Ohel, Berechiah, Hasadiah and Jushab, Hesed. Those who are pregnant can be finding some nice names here for your sons. The descendants of Hananiah, Pelatiah and Jeshiah, and the sons of Rephiah, of Arnon, of Obadiah and of Shechaniah. The descendants of Shechaniah, Shemiah and his sons, Hatwish, Igal, Bariah, Neariah and Shaphat, six in all. The sons of Neariah, Elio and I, Hizkiah and Azrakam, three in all. The sons of Elio and I, and I take it this brings us up to the time of the writing now. Hodaviah, Eliashib, Peliah, Akub, Johanan, Deliah, and Ananias, seven in all. Okay, I want us to think about how far this takes us historically. So, as I say, David, Solomon, they're around about 1000 BC. We go firing through the generations then. And then if we get to, say, Jehoiachin, where's he? Jehoiachin, Zedekiah, verse 16. Now we're in the early 500s, about 590 BC. It's the time of the exile. Return from the exile is about 539 BC. So the significant bloke there is Zerubbabel. Can you see him, verse 19? Do you remember him? Anyone remember him from Zechariah? Zerubbabel. He's the one. Do 
remember in the vision, so it's Zerubbabel and Joshua who will um, be the, 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 the reinstigators of God's people. So Zerubbabel's about 539, somewhere around there. Uh, so from here, Israel are ruled by foreign powers. So although we're tracing the line of King David, they're not kings anymore. None of these blokes are kings, but let's just follow it anyway. So after Zerubbabel, let's just count the generations. So we've got Hananiah, next generation Shechaniah, next generation Neariah, then Elioniah, and then his son. So it's one, two, three, four, five generations after 539 BC. Five generations, what's that in time? Maybe 100, 120 years, something like that? So if we start 539 BC, we take it through five generations. That takes us to around about 400 BC. And that is, therefore, the earliest time at which this book can be written. It's quite important because this book, it's, particularly 1 Chronicles, it's all about King David. So King David, 1000 BC. The second book only takes us through to 539. But the book itself, it's written at the very earliest 400 it can't be, or you wouldn't have these. It can't be written any earlier than that, or you wouldn't have these genealogies. And you see the point. This is not a book that talks about current events. It's not like me writing a history of Julia Gillard or something like that. Okay, it's not talking about stuff that's happening now. It's like, um, it's like writing about a history of the Middle Ages or something like that. Okay, it's a long, long time ago. Even by the time it's written, because the Bible's so old, we kind of forget. It's, sort of, oh, it's all ages ago. But this is already ancient his- an ancient history lesson that's being written in the book of 1 Chronicles. Okay, well, let's get back to it. Uh, chapter 4, you've got more of Judah. But then we start picking up some other tribes. So see if, just, if you can just follow the headings with me. Just follow the headings with me. So chapter 4, verse 24, can you see the tribe we're dealing with there? That's Simeon, 5.1. You've got Reuben, 5.11 is Gad, 5.23 got some of the half-tribe of Manasseh. By this stage, they're settled on either side of the Jordan, and so they're dealt with separately. We'll pick up the rest of Manasseh later. I just want you to notice verses 25 to 26. Chapter 5, verse 25. But they were unfaithful to the God of their fathers and prostituted themselves to the gods of the peoples of the land whom God had destroyed before them. So the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Pul, king of Assyria, that is Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, who took the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh into exile. This is now 722 BC, is the Assyrian conquest, 722 BC. He took them to Halah, Habor, Hara, and the river of Gozan, where they are to this day. Okay, so assuming this is written somewhere around 400, they've been in exile now and are still in exile and have been in exile for some 300 years. Okay, so some brief history of some of the tribes, sad history. Chapter 6 now, we pick up a longer section. So we're going to deal with the tribe of Levi, Levi has three sons. If you look with me at verse 1, you can see them. Chapter 6, verse 1. Chapter 6, verse 1. The sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. And then we start with, by following Kohath's family. And we pick up uh, the famous Moses and Aaron. And then we head down Aaron's line. And this time we focus on Israel's high priests. So verse 2, 6, 2. The sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. The children of Amram, Aaron, Moses, and Miriam. Famous names, we just follow one though, and that's Aaron, the sons of Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. Eliezer was the father of Phineas, Phineas the father of Abishua, Abishua the father of Buki, and etc., etc., following the priests, down to verse 14. 14, Azariah, the father of Sariah, Sariah, the father of Jehozadak. Jehozadak was deported when the Lord sent Judah and Jerusalem into exile by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. So we're back in 
590, somewhere around there, BC. Okay, so that's one son, Kohath. Uh, we then focus on Levi's other sons, Gershon and Merari. The emphasis is on the people who play special roles in the temple. So you've got musicians, you've got helpers and so on in the temple. So you've got 80 verses on Levi, which takes us right through to chapter 7. From chapter 7, some more tribes, only again we start knocking them over um, quite quickly. So 7.1, if you just follow the headings again. 7.1, you've got Issachar. 7.6, Benjamin. Looks brief, we're going to come back to Benjamin though. Uh, Naphtali gets one whole verse, verse 13. Um, you're not going to be any the wiser about your family if you're from Naphtali. Um, the other part of the half-tribe of Manasseh, verses 14 to 19. Verse 20 is Ephraim, 30 to 40 is Asher. Then in chapter 8, we come back to the tribe of Benjamin, again for a more extended treatment. And we work our way through and we see the significance of Benjamin. It's there in verse 33. Verse 33, the significance of Benjamin is the fact that one of the kings comes from Benjamin, and that is uh, King Saul, who's the king before David. All right, we're nearly there. You're feeling fascinated. Okay, that's chapters 2 to 8. Chapters 2 to 8. What have we done? We've worked our way through the tribes of Israel, and we've focused especially on the kingly tribes, Judah and Benjamin, and on the priestly tribe, Levi. Chapter 9, one final list. Oh, actually two. Uh, this time we're going to look at the people who came back to Jerusalem after the exile to Babylon. So in the time about 539 BC. Now if you just look in chapter 9 verse 1, halfway through verse 1, you'll see that it's actually a few tribes, uh, just remnants. Most of them are killed, of course. Um, but just a few remnants from different tribes come back. So halfway through verse 1 there. Chapter 9 verse 1. The people of Judah were taken captive to Babylon because of their unfaithfulness. Now the first to resettle on their own property in their own towns were some Israelites, priests, Levites and temple servants, those from Judah, from Benjamin and from Ephraim and Manasseh who lived in Jerusalem were. So you can see a few tribes, a few tribes or remnants of a few tribes are coming back. We focus on them till verse 9 and then the rest up to verse 34 is focusing on the priests and Levites. So they needed to be able to, they needed to, be able to prove their genealogy to serve in the temple and so there's more information about them. That's up to verse 34 and then the very last section is a genealogy which again introduces us to King Saul and we will pick up his story next week. Okay, so there you have it. Nine chapters of names. Not the easiest reading in the Bible. Uh, it would have tested those of you who like to pre-read the passage before Sunday. I don't know if anybody managed to make it through all nine chapters of names. Uh, not the easiest reading in the Bible. Not the easiest preaching in the Bible either, if I might say so. Uh, but hopefully you've got the big picture. You understand what's going on here. We start with Adam. We move through to Israel. That's chapter 1. We focus on Israel, chapters 2 to 8, especially Judah, Benjamin and Levi, the kings and priests. And then chapter 9 is the people in Jerusalem after the exile. Okay, we know what's in the chapters. Question is, what do we do with them? What do you do with these nine chapters of names? What possible relevance could this stuff have to us? Now, to answer that question, we're going to need to take a step between them and us. If we're going to think through the relevance of these chapters to ourselves, we've got to first understand the relevance of these chapters to their original readers. Because remember, the book is not written until 400 BC. We need to ask, why would you write the history of Israel for these particular people hundreds of years later in 400 to 350 BC, so somewhere around? Why write this history for these people? 
What's, what's the point? Well, let, me, let me give you a quick picture of Israel in around 400 BC. So 400 BC, uh, the Persian Empire is ruling the world. It's like you think America's powerful, nothing. Persia was incredibly powerful. They ruled from Europe through to India. Extraordinary, amazing power ruling the whole world. And Israel is one tiny little remnant nation within the Persian Empire. And in the 300s BC, it's one of the most, um, one of the biggest upheaval centuries in the whole of history. So by 331 BC, Alexander the Great has completely taken over the Persian Empire. So it's gone from Persian Empire to Greek Empire. In the space of a very short time, Alexander's incredibly successful as a military man. This is the most extraordinary historical period where the whole world is ruled by Persia and then the whole world is ruled by Greece. So even at this time, there's, there's these big stirrings of these massive nations. And meanwhile, Israel, they have this tiny seemingly insignificant country. Uh, the sons of Elio and I might be around the place. Those descendants of King David, the direct descendants of David are there, but they're not kings. They're just you know, out on the farm somewhere. There is no Israelite king in Israel. The king of Israel is the Persian emperor. The king of Israel will soon be the Greek emperor. No king. Uh, around about 400 BC, the temple has been rebuilt. Those of us who did Zechariah or Ezra and Nehemiah will remember the story of how it happened, but it's a pale shadow. It's a bit of a cardboard and string copy. And, and zeal for the Jewish religion, it kind of waxes and wanes. You know, they get all excited, but then nothing really happens. You know, like we were just waiting <laughs> in our kids' talk. Nothing's happening, and it just sort of comes and goes. And so here's Israel's situation. The, the glory days of David and Solomon, it's ancient, ancient history. It's like pre-Reformation for us, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. The glory of the temple, long gone. It seems like this God of Israel is no one special. Not as strong as the gods of Persia, not as strong as the gods of Greece. You've got to wonder if it's worth staying Jewish at all. In fact, within a hundred years or so, there would be a mass exodus from Judaism. Many, many Jewish people would give up their faith and become what was called Hellenized. That is, they would be absorbed into the Greek Empire. They'd become Greek in language and in culture and philosophy and religion. So what do you think the message is for these people? What's the point of these nine chapters of names? I guess it's similar to the point of all genealogies. Like my grandfather wrote... It can give them some understanding of the past. It can tell them something of, of who they are, of, of, of where they came from, of, of what they stand for. So who are they? Who are these people, this seemingly insignificant group of survivors? Who are they? Where did they come from? What do they stand for? Answer, these are God's people. Dating back to Adam with such luminaries as Abraham and Moses and Aaron and David and Solomon in their line. This is a people of kings. This is a people of priests, a people who worship the true God, the God who made heaven and earth, the God who has controlled history from beginning to end. This is the people of God. But these are also a people with a problem. 
a problem that dates back to Adam. These are people who are unfaithful. And just about a whole heap of the editorial comments through these first nine chapters remind us of the unfaithfulness of Israel. They are people who keep turning away from God, who keep turning to idols. The evidence of this genealogy makes it clear there's no Israelite king on the throne. The people of Israel are a tiny remnant. Some of them are still in exile. And why? Well, not because God's lost control. He's sovereignly controlled this whole history. It's because Israel are unfaithful. God has judged them. They need to stick with the true king. They've always been tempted to go off after idols, as they are at this point. But no, they've got to stick with the true God. This genealogy reveals a people with a problem. And it also gives them hope. Here is a people with promises. Adam, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Aaron. God has made great promises to these men. Promises that he will keep. Promises to, to bless the whole world through this seemingly insignificant family. Promises that, that an eternal king is going to be raised up from this family. Promises that the God that these people worship will be worshipped throughout the whole world. You put it all together, and this is an encouraging and a challenging message for Israel. What's this message, what's this genealogy saying to Israel in 400 BC? It's saying, don't despair. You're not just an insignificant speck in the Persian Empire. You are someone. You are God's people, God's special people, part of his great plan with amazing promises. You've just got to stick with him. It's saying, don't turn away from God. Don't make the mistake of your ancestors. Pray to God. Worship God. Stick with his word and his king and his priests and his temple. There's the message for the original readers. This genealogy tells them where they've come from, who they are, what they stand for. Encourages them to stick with their God. What about us then? Here we are, another two and a half millennia down the track. This is not just ancient history. This is ancient, ancient, ancient history. What, what, what could this possibly say to us? Of course, this family line didn't end in 400 BC. And God's promises didn't end in 400 BC. Did you notice it in our second reading today? As Paul was preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, how did he introduce Jesus? He introduced Jesus as the descendant of David, as the fulfilment of God's promises through the ages to Israel. Let me quote again from Paul in Acts 13. From David's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Saviour Jesus, he promised. What God promised our fathers, he has fulfilled their us, for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. Therefore, through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from, through the law of Moses. What's the relevance of this genealogy for us? Well, it depends if you're interested in Jesus or not. But if you've got any interest in Jesus, this is his family tree. This is his genealogy. This is his family history. Jesus has come into this family tree, and what he's done is he's fixed the problem that dates all the way back to Abraham, this problem that caused such generation, uh, such uh, devastation. Jesus has come into this family tree to be the eternal king in the line of David, Jesus has come into this family tree to open up an access to God that, that the temple was just a pale shadow of. This family tree is Jesus' family tree. And do you know what? Through Jesus, this can be your family tree. 
they say that you can't choose your family. Well, here's an exception to the rule. You can become part of this family, even if you're not physically descended from it. Did you notice it in our first reading today? The Apostle Paul says that Gentiles who put their faith in Jesus, though they once were far away, strangers can become part of God's household, God's family. I've put Ephesians 2.19 on your outline there. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Friends, if you're a Christian, 1 Chronicles 1-9 is your family tree. If you are relying on Jesus, you belong in this family, in God's family. Do you know what that means? It means you are not some insignificant speck. It means you have a profoundly significant identity. It means you are someone to God. You have a place in his plan for this world. You have a history and you have a hope and a future. Uh, Yes, like all the people in this genealogy, you are a sinner. But through God's great promises fulfilled in Jesus, you have forgiveness, you have an eternal king, you have access to the God who made you. Now that show, Who Do You Think You Are? It gets people quite emotional as they see their place in history and in family. You know, 1 Chronicles 1 to 9, I don't think it should put us to sleep. I think it should thrill us as we see who we are, how we are connected. Friends, who do you think you are? Let the Apostle Peter tell you on your outline there. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank and praise you for your incredible mercy to us that you would not just forgive us and cleanse us from our sin, but you would adopt us into your family. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that as part of your family through Jesus, we can know that we matter to you, we have a place, we have a purpose, we have a hope and a future. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you might help us to be all the more thankful to the Lord Jesus Christ for who we are in him. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.